0: Welcome to episode number 90 of Off The Shelf. This is part two of our interview with Charles Paisley. Charles was born into the message and grew up in Faith Assembly Church in Clarksville, Indiana, where Junior Jackson was the pastor. Charles is currently a minister at the Gospel Church of Jeffersonville, Indiana, where he is working with other former message believers to help people find community and support as they leave the message. What? Caused you to start asking questions about the message, and I know these things. Certainly, with me, it's not suddenly you woke up and say, "Oh, the message false." You got a question, right. and you have a difficult time getting answers to the questions, and you talk to people, and they don't want you to question. So, what started your questioning the message?
1: So that's a that's a little bit of a tricky question. Um, because you know like like I, said, I sat through all these end of the world predictions and i still believed the message i would die for the message right i would have died for the message on the other side of it i mean the stuff that we did i mean it, it's uh, so you know none of those things like even when the world failed to end in 2005 it didn't even phase me rod i kept going right like it didn't even didn't hardly phase me right um even the first thing that kind of fazed me a little bit is when we lost all so much of our family in 2008 like and and that's where i really that's the first time maybe i put something in my shelf like why why did we blow everything up why couldn't we find an answer to this right but you know I, i i we did what we always did the fan is in his hand right and this stuff was done by the will of God to run off the chaff, right? That's that's how we always explained it. This is the will of God to get rid of the chaff. We are here. We still believe the truth, so we're we're the we're the elite or, or what have you. You know, we're the true bride of Christ. So, I, I was. Uh, although lots of things happened over the years, nothing ever. For many years, never made me think there was actually anything wrong with the message itself. I was always able to do mental gymnastics to, you know, justify the message. and just thought, well, we just have this minor thing here or there wrong. And but maybe let me give you the the, the first story that maybe planted a, a a problem that stuck with me for a little while. So there was a man who came to our church named uh, I'll say his name's Glenn Funk. He's passed away. He was a, a tabernacle deacon during the 40s and 50s. Brother Branham had appointed him. And he had uh, he had two sons. Uh, he had more children, but two sons in particular that had contracted polio while William Branham was still alive. And one of them, they were both badly injured and one was crippled as a result. And many, many times growing up and, and into my young adulthood, he would testify how William Branham had prayed for his boys and personally assured him that before the end came, these boys were going to be healed. And you know, that, that was a, that was one of the many William Branham promises that people in our church carried. Because keep in mind, Faith Assembly uh, was, was populated by half the church were, Families had known Brother Branham to the very, nearly the beginning of his ministry, right? So, you know, most message churches have no witnesses yeah. of William Branham, right? But our church was majority witnesses of William Branham growing up, and so this this thing he, that his sons was going to be healed was just a really one of the great prom you know the great promises that we we looked to, and so time went by and Glenn Funk, the deacon, died and. He, and then his sons get older and then one day ugh, the first real problem came so th- one of his sons uh, had divorced and remarried a younger woman and and i want to say too, these people they're still alive the- these are wonderful people i love these people so much i mean and i miss them yeah. i really miss them you know um the people at faith assembly a lot of them are really wonderful people this 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 man divorced he remarried and the first sunday he comes to church with his new wife you know he comes in on crutches you know the the preacher calls him and his wife out from the platform in the middle of the service and he tells them leave church never come back you've you know because what you've done in this remarriage is such a great sin so they're they're thrown out of the church right which is not a you know things like that happen but there as I sat there that day, right I am my mind is it is is exploding. This man was supposed to be healed. Brother Branham, you know, had promised this, you know, it was prophetic. And now we have just thrown him out of church, you know, to never come back. Like so how is the prophecy ever gonna be fulfilled, right? And so that was one of the first things that kind of planted a, a seed with me. And so as time went by, and that man's still living, he he still hasn't been healed. But, you know, I, I pray God does heal him. But uh, that it just it never happened, right? And so at that point, I really thought something was wrong. And then when you get... When I got to about 2016, I started to... I started to realize that time was going to go on long enough that all the living witnesses of William Branham was going to be was going to be dead, uh, and so I started a process of trying to collect as much message history, which I have behind me on these shelves, as I could. And through that, I, I interviewed most all the living people that knew William Branham in the church. Uh, cl- started collecting testimonies, kind of privately, personally, and through that, I started again coming into all of these different conflicting facts, right? That's when a lot of the discrepancies really became clear to me. Um, one, one really prominent one that I had come across that troubled me a whole lot was the healing of Georgia Carter. And Are you, are you familiar yeah. with that? It was one of the she early healings. Okay. Yeah, so she was healed in 1941. And at our church, we had multiple witnesses who were there at the services when that happened. Um, she was healed after the revival was over. But um, I'm sure you know anyone in the message will will remember this story, so Brother Branham was uh, you know in Jeffersonville area, and he has a vision, and in his vision, um, he hears a sheep crying out, "Milltown, milltown," and and he says, "I got to go to Milltown and save a little lost sheep out there," which was George Carter but he always said I didn't know where Milltown was I never even heard of it so I had to go ask people where is Milltown where is Milltown well brother Branham had going to, been going to Milltown for years before that and he already knew Georgia Carter and all them years before that right and and I knew the people who were there with him years before that and so when that happened you know when I looked at that that was one of the first times I realized wait a minute you know William Branham even would make up stuff about these supernatural experiences, right So that 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 planted a big worry in me and this this rod is before I've even found any of believe the sign yeah. or any of that stuff right And so so I you know I had these questions in my mind um, and and then I learned I think the first thing I learned was the municipal bridge vision was false, right that was a that was a tough one. Uh, to, to kind of get through. And I found out the old timers all knew it was false here.
0: But now, one of the things that people always say, well, nobody, when William Brannon was alive, nobody ever told him that he was wrong. <laughs>
1: So that's not true. <laughs> that's <laughs> they just true. didn't
0: stand up on the platform and say it. But.
1: So that, I know that's not true yeah. at all, right? So like uh, Graham Snelling was his assistant pastor in the 50s. This is a well-known story here. Graham Snelling confronted him over the 1933 baptism story he told because he had told a lot of facts about that that weren't true. and I We knew multiple witnesses at the 33 baptism. So Graham Snelling, his assistant pastor, confronted him in the mid-50s over the way he was telling the baptism story and shortly after that William Branham has visions that Graham Snelling's committing adultery right and Graham Snelling's thrown out and ran out of the tabernacle right like this is that's the so that's the stories of things that happened to the people who did but but there was no truth to the fact
0: Uh, that he was committing adultery
1: i don't know right i i don't know yeah. personally uh all i know is that's the you know that that's what was handed down to me as a story was that after he confronted him william branham then has this uh vision that he's having a, a committed adultery yeah and, you know and so that he's definitely not the only one that's told william branham things weren't right there's ernest fandler had confronted him at one point i don't know if you're familiar Heard with the that name. story but there, okay uh, ernest was from Saskatchewan. Yeah. Um, and uh he uh so this is a this is a wonderful story <laughs> um so we believe – like I mentioned, we believe that William Branham told these stories on purpose uh, and God let him do it to – purposefully to deceive people. And we, we kind of – we went back to Elijah and Elisha and John the Baptist, and Brother Jackson would pull out examples where they all said things that were – seemed to be untrue. And so he said, you know, we, they were untrue. They said things that weren't true and mislead people. Well, it's only natural we would expect Brother Branham to also exaggerate and say things that aren't true. So – um, so Ernest Vandler is one of the stories that, that fits into that. So Ernest Fandler, he was with William Branham. Um, they were driving down the road in an old pickup truck, and Brother Branham's in the passenger seat, and Brother Branham says to Ernest Fandler, um, he says, God showed you something about me, Ernest. And uh, Ernest Fandler says, uh, I don't want to talk about it. And Brother Branham says again, "Now Ernest, I want you to tell me what God, God said about me. And uh, Ernest Fandler says, I don't want to tell you, Brother Branham. And then finally, Brother Branham says, I adjure thee in the name of the Lord. Tell me what God has told you to tell about me. And Ernest Fandler looks at him and says, Brother Branham, you make a lot of stuff up. (laughs) (laughs) And who did you hear this from? Uh, Ernest Fandler shared this with us uh, personally. And... uh, (laughs) And uh, and then Brother Branham says, uh, well, Ernest, that's true. I have that problem. You pray for me. <laughs> but so we've had these stories. You know, We it's always been known to us. Brother Branham was a bad, terrible exaggerator. and But we believed he did it on to, purpose. To,
0: to create stumbling blocks for people so that they wouldn't believe. Although, you know, the big question I have is, so when does exaggeration turn into a lie?
1: So, you know, it, it, I think, you know, when you're out fishing, you know, the uh, the amount of rope you give somebody is more, <laughs> you know, if it's a fishing story or something. But, you know, when it comes to the gospel, I don't think there – you can't put no exaggeration yeah. in it at all. Uh, we, 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 we don't we, – you know, we expect exaggeration in fishing stories, but when it comes to supernatural experiences in the gospel uh, – there cannot be any exaggerations in that. It needs to be yeah. the truth, right? And so, a little leaven leavens the whole lump, right? Yeah. I, that's how well, I God would doesn't look need at our help. It. No, it, it's good enough, right? It's all the miracle is already exciting enough if it's a real miracle, right? The gospel is already exciting enough if, if it's presented the right way. There's no, you don't need to spice it up.
0: So we were talking earlier about, and you mentioned cognitive dissonance, and this is a concept that was. Uh, postulated first as a theory by a professor of psychology by the name of Leon Festinger in a book called When Prophecy Fails. And if you haven't read the book, you should. I know you've read it, Charles. Yeah, you've got it right there. It's a very, very good book. I think written in 1956. I just finished reading a book entitled Mistakes Were Made But Not By Me, authors are Tavris and Aronson. And it deals with the whole issue of cognitive dissonance in a variety of spheres, public spheres. And for those that don't know, cognitive dissonance is a it's a hardwired psychological mechanism in our brains that creates self-justification in us. And we all have it. It protects what we know is certain, our self-esteem, our tribal affiliations, the groups that we put ourselves into we're part of a we're part of various groups like I was in the message for almost 40 years and I identified with the group of people that were message believers and in particular our flavor or subsect within the greater message we were followers of William Branham that was who I was as part of my identity and cognitive dissonance is a state of tension that occurs when a person holds two What they refer to as cognitions, which is just two ideas, two attitudes, two beliefs, two opinions that are inconsistent with each other. They disagree with each other. A good example of this is when a person tells themselves that. So there's somebody, a a smoker, and a smoker says, smoking is a dumb thing to do because it could kill me. But they also smoke two packs a day. (laughs) So they've got this problem inside of their mind and it produces mental discomfort. That ranges from minor pangs to deep anguish. But it does, it's to the extent that people can't rest easy until they find a way to reduce that dissonance. So in the example of a smoker, the most direct way for a smoker to reduce the dissonance is to stop smoking by quitting. But if they try to quit and fail... Now they're still stuck with this dissonance, so they have to convince themselves that smoking isn't really that bad. Maybe it's worth the risk because it helps the person relax, or it prevents them from gaining weight, because after all, obesity is a health risk. And so they'd rather smoke and be thin than not smoke and be overweight. And the brain has incredible ways of creating self-delusion. It's really true in the message. Message preachers tell their congregation there's nothing in the issues on Believe the Sign or anybody, any of the other websites that exist. But when you talk to the message preachers, they've actually never looked at the issues. And they've convinced themselves that all the things that we've raised are complete nonsense because it's not possible in their worldview that William Branham was a false prophet. So with dissonance, I know each one of us has gone through it, and it's really prevalent in the for people still in the message because they believe the message. Therefore, they're special. They're the only ones that God has chosen, and everybody outside the message is atomic fodder. And as a result, they'll do the mental gymnastics, which you were talking about, that it takes to preserve those beliefs. How did you get through your cognitive distance? What was it like for you? Was there a particular issue that triggered your realization that your beliefs were wrong?
1: So I think it it, it may be multiple things coming together. So I mentioned, you know, how we had the 2005, you know, the world didn't end. Well, it didn't stop there. So we we had new dates, and then new dates, and new dates, and new dates, and, you know, uh, in 2015, the Shmita was supposed to be the sign of the end, right? The end didn't come. 2016, the Jubilee was supposed to be the sign of the end. The end didn't come. Um, you know, every every year or two, they were coming up with a new sign that was the sign of the end, um, and at a certain point, uh, there was just too many too fast for me, and so I, I start wondering you know i start not necessarily to question the message at that point but to question the credibility of the ministers telling me this stuff do you know i i started having the problem there first but then as i had those questions in my mind uh that's when i i stumbled onto the things that that i i could not i couldn't explain away anymore and for me that's the stuff around 1963 so in our part of the message and I I don't know if it's this way in every part but for my part for sure 1963 is and what happened that year is so pivotal it's almost everything to us we believe that when the Lord descended from heaven with a shout, you know, with the the cloud coming down. We thought that was the fulfillment, you know, of that verse in Thessalonians. The Lord descended from heaven with a shout. And the Brother Branham having that experience and coming back and preaching the seven seals. We believed he preached the first seal, the first six, and but he didn't have number seven. And so we believe that was a new divine revelation from God. And that we believe that revelation that knowledge is what then made us the special bride of Christ we had this special thing that nobody else had and it was all through this experience so when i when i started to uncover the facts around 1963, that threw me into a loop that I, I could not find the answer for. And it it actually started, Rod. It's your fault. I'll blame you. <laughs> <laughs> I get blamed a lot uh, for and then I'll, things. <laughs> uh, I'll, I'll thank you, too. I'll thank you also. So I was the editor of the Contender magazine, and our pastor did a, a series on uh, – on the seals and and the mystery cloud. And I I think I probably have the copy of it back here on the shelf. So I thought, well, I'll I'll go out to Believe the Sign used to have some nice cloud pictures. Let me go get a cloud picture off their website for the magazine. Oh, my goodness. Something happened to your website, Rod. (laughs) Yeah. I I get on there and think, oh, my goodness. Believe the Sign's been hacked. You know, that was my, that was what I thought. So anyways, I, I quickly found the pictures and moved on. Right, Got them into the publication. But there's other things. There's a whole lot of stuff I, I have left out at this point. But at that point, um, I'm having some questions. And, and, and the two questions I saw raised on your site, uh, they warranted further investigation for me. I guess I'll put it that way. Um, and, and number one, the cloud was made was man-made was one of the things right and the other is William Branham wasn't even there that day and so as I I looked into those two things you know I I came away convinced that the cloud was made by a rocket and not supernatural right I mean the evidence is overwhelming and conclusive and I even had some of the preachers who preached the cloud supernatural from the platform confirm to me they knew it was made by a rocket too I mean it it's incredible rod like when i would investigate these things like i I went to one message preacher and uh you know and i talked about the rocket i talked about the cloud i talked about william branham not being there and he just kind of looks at me "Uh uh-huh yep Uh uh-huh and uh then i get to the end and i say well did william branham just make all this stuff up then and he goes yeah that's pretty well how it is and I'm flabbergasted, John. I'm flabbergasted, Rod. I mean, uh, like what in the world? You're the one who told me it was true. I mean, <laughs> what do you do yeah, with that? Yeah, yeah. And so, uh, and so I'm like, what in the world? That's, that's, not, that's so, like, that's like my, at that point,
0: interrupt, that's like my conversation with George Smith. When I, I did all of this research on the municipal bridge vision, and this is going back, there wasn't anything, right? So, I was on the websites and I was doing research and I, you know, encyclopedias of, of uh, you know, Louisville and Indiana and all this going in. I couldn't find anybody that had died on the bridge. And so finally I phoned up Perry Green. He couldn't confirm anything. I phoned up George Smith. And now my, by this time, my wife is really curious about what I'm digging up, right? Because we're talking about this with my kids every weekend, but we've got all these questions and we're not getting any answers. And my wife, I'm on the phone and this is uh, pre cell phone. So I had my, my old landline and I'm on the phone and my wife is like, she's listening in to what, to what George is saying. And I said, I can't find any evidence for the, for anybody, uh, for the 16 people dying on the bridge. And he says, no, nobody died. And I just like, what? And you haven't <laughs> told anybody. Uh-huh. Unbelievable.
1: It's yeah. So I, I found out that Brother Jackson found out that the uh, the cloud was fake, and Brother Brandon wasn't even there back in the early nineties. is what I ended up finding out. Brother Jackson had known it, you know, for for years and years and years before he died, and he just quit talking about it more or less, and and kind of changed, found something else to to justify things. So that was. Uh, So my mental gymnastic I did at that point was, well, they all know the cloud is fake, and they still believe the message, so there must still be something valid for me to believe the message, and so this is not enough by itself to make me not believe the message that the cloud's fake, because they already know, and so they still believe and so that that's what I did. I mean, I don't understand why William Branham made all this stuff up, maybe, and I don't want to be chaff and, you know, let his, you know, misdeed blow me away, right? So that that's honestly how I looked at it, and I'm going to stay here. I've still got the revelation of the seals. These are divine revelation from God. We're good. Um... Uh, you know, on uh, the Searching for Vindication site there's an article the title Quoting William Branham says, And their friends is where my sorrow started. <laughs> and uh so here here friends is where my sorrow started. Uh and I I still get emotional talking yeah, about this, yeah. Rod. I can barely uh it it still breaks my heart that I found these things, you know. But A very good friend of mine who was at church his father had passed away and then his mother and I I preached his mother's funeral and after his uh, mother passed away he was going through his father's things and he said would you like to have any of my father's old books and he was a preacher and this book uh, the book of Revelation Clarence Larkin same edition as what's in William Branham's library uh, was among the books and I, I took it out to I like pictures you know the pictures in here i thought i could use these to illustrate our and
0: drew everyone yeah
1: Yeah. so i I thought they were really good and so i i pull it out and and start looking through it and you know about the time you get to page five oh my goodness oh my goodness and you know and and I'm reading this book and I'm reading all of these things that William Branham said an angel told him but here they are in in a book and so I'm you know that that's where my sorrow started and so as I read through there a lot of it I could dismiss but basically two of the seals in this book are identical to what we believed right and so at that point I I started to have a serious deep sorrow that I was gonna find the other four seals one day and basically discovering that that the revelation of the seals was not divine revelation to William Branham from an angel, but rather was something he copied out of books. Um, that's, that's the thing that finally pushed me over the edge. And I didn't fully figure that out until I'd actually left the church and uh, very sorrowful, very sad, very painful to come to grips with, um, with that.
0: Yeah. Uh, I know yeah. a lot of people so in the message particular preachers constantly say, the reason you left the message is you couldn't live it. The reason you left the message is you just want to go out and party and have a good time. That has nothing to do with it. It's just like, I couldn't believe I was finding these things. It's no, like I actually, I tried to prove the message to be correct and I failed. And I'm a researcher, that's my background. And I had, when I did research, I had to know beyond a shadow of doubt it was true because when I gave someone my opinion, they would go out and spend literally hundreds of millions of dollars based on, because I was in professional practice, I was uh, in the tax game as a worked for one of the largest accounting firms in the world. And when I gave an opinion, I could get sued for that opinion if I wasn't correct. And we had people running hundreds of millions of dollars through all these countries. And it's just like, you had to know you're right. So when I started finding out these things, I didn't, initially I didn't tell anybody except my family to say, okay, look, here's what I'm finding. I ain't mean, be wrong, prove me wrong. I can't believe that I'm finding this.
1: Yeah, for for me, the one of the only people I told a lot of the stuff I found to was the man who gave me this book. Um, he, and I, I don't know if he'll listen to this or ever see this because he's still in the message. But if, if he ever does, I want you to know I am so thankful you gave me this book. You set me free in ways you don't know. And maybe he wonders why I told him the stuff I found. is because he's the <laughs> one who gave me the book. <laughs> <laughs> and I felt confident to confide in him some of those things. But, uh, yeah, it, it's like you say, Rod. I did not leave the message because I couldn't live it. And here's the truth. I was – I mean, I was a message preacher. As far as the rules, I don't know. There's very few people I know who live the message rules better than I did. And... I don't think there's a thing, you know. Paul said I was Pharisee of the Pharisees, you know, of the tribe of Benjamin, circumcised the third day. You know, I was born on the bench. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I was there every service. You know, you could name it all, every rule. I I never owned a pair of shorts. You know, you could just go down every rule, and I lived it perfectly. And here's the thing: is I I still pretty well live the same way. You know, I've lived this way this long, and I don't uh, I don't know. I'm not super. I'm setting my ways, I guess, in a personal sense, so I'm probably never going to personally change, you know. Um, but uh, it, it, I still, I live the message better than a whole lot of the people that live on yeah, the inside yeah, yeah. as far as their sets of rules would go. So that's not at all why we left. We, I left because I found out that William Branham had deceived us about the most important part of the message as far as we believed it he did not have a supernatural experience in 1963 the lord did not descend from heaven with a shout that cloud was a rocket explosion he wasn't even there right and then and then the revelation that supposedly came from angels he got he got out of not only this book but another book as well and he just kind of mixed and matched until he got what he presented
0: to us yeah i know it's very sad So currently, and we'll get into some more of these specifics, but you're part of the leadership of a church that just started up in Clarksville, Indiana, called the Gospel Church. What was your motivation for starting up a new church? That brings us to the end of part two of our interview with Charles Paisley. We welcome you to come back next month to listen to part three of the interview. If you have any questions, please go to the -the offtheshelf.life website. There is a space for comment and questions at the bottom of each episode. I've asked Charles if he would answer any questions that our listeners might post. Or you can send me an email at rod at offtheshelf.life. Please let us know if there are any issues or questions that you think we should address on the podcast or someone you think we should consider interviewing. Thank you very much for listening and remember that God loves you and is not afraid of your questions. Have a great week.